Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 11. So right now, I don't know about anyone else, but it feels like everyone is talking about how they have to be revenue driven, be a revenue driven marketing, make sure everything you're doing is tied to revenue. I think in theory, that sounds great. Obviously, we all want to make sure that we're showing ROI, that we're valuable to the company. But every time someone asks me that, I'm like, but what does that mean in practice? Like, obviously, everything we're doing is towards revenue. But I do think there are specific ways to make sure that what you're doing is tying to pipeline, that new campaigns or initiatives you're running are going to be ROI positive, and how you can show that to leadership. So to answer all those questions, I'm so excited. We're going to be talking today with Brittany Brown, the head of enterprise marketing at Localize. And Brittany is also actually a customer of ours. As we were talking and prepping, has just done a phenomenal job tying herself to revenue, making sure every new campaign initiative she's doing, and even when looking at Nevadic, was all tied to revenue. So we'll dive into all that today, how you can become a revenue-driven marketer. But before we dive into data and revenue, first we're going to start off with our typical question. Brittany, what are you drinking today? I am having a Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. I have like, honestly, a little cooler of white wines that have like six bottles in it that people have gifted me and I never open them. So I was like, a summer day, perfect. I'm going to open one finally. I was going to ask any particular reason New Zealand, like any tire love, but it sounds like it was just a gift. Yeah, it was gifted to us. Like we, my husband and I got married a little over a month ago. And so we just got an influx of wine and champagne. And I'm like, it's time to break into these. So I'm glad you guys invited me to this. So I have an excuse. (laughs) Well, glad we made a good use for it. Ben, what about you? I made one of my true old fashions, uh, like, like normal, but Brittany, to your point, I think the best gifts to get and receive when you're an adult is either alcohol or coffee. When somebody gets me like a really good bottle of whiskey or wine, it's always really appreciated. Or when they're like, hey, I came back from like Costa Rica and I brought you this bag of coffee. It's like, oh, you're the best. I totally agree. I just had someone like gift me a work present recently and they, you know, it was like a Sendoso type thing where they gave me an option for what do you want to get? And they sent cookies and I was like, "Mm, I'd definitely rather have coffee than these cookies. But yeah, I totally agree. Alcohol or coffee. What keeps us all going? I am, unfortunately, I went back to my roots of red wine today. Similar to Brittany, we just have a bunch of wine in my apartment right now. And when I ran to grab something for the podcast, I was like, we got to get through some of this wine. So I am back to my typical red wine, but it's been a while. I, I really tried to deviate for a little, but it just felt a little homey today. And so now that we know what everyone's drinking, Brittany would love to hear, you know, before this call, you were saying you were excited to get to share some of your fast experience with sales. Maybe it could go on a little bit of a tangent. So I'd love to hear about what is your typical relationship with sales? Yeah, so um, my actually marketing experience started as a field marketer. So I went to college to become a finance major. And I say I went to college to learn what I didn't want to do um, as a real job. Um, so yeah, like right after college, I just started applying for every marketing role that I could find. And one of them was field marketing, which I had no idea honestly what it was. And I didn't even remember applying for the role at the time. But yeah, I started at a company called Semantic, which is now Norton LifeLock and was working directly with their enterprise sales team. So that's like where I cut my teeth was just immediately jumping in with sales, really not even understanding marketing at the time. But I think it was a benefit to me because I learned the sales motion before I really even learned marketing. And I had that finance experience where I understood the revenue side of things. I understood how companies made money and how they tracked their finances and all of that. So yeah, I think that company that I first worked at back in the day, I don't know how Norton LifeLock is now. I haven't been there in like five years, but at Semantic, it was very, I would say old school sales. So very much the like, hey, Brittany, I know you're my field marketer. Will you book me a golfing trip with my prospects? 
So I learned the, the, the very like hard way of my, you know, my boss at the time had been a field marketer for I think like 15 years. And that's like kind of what she loved and what she stuck with. But she taught me really soon into the role, like, hey, I know this is going to sound bad, but you need to treat sales like they're your sons, but like your teenage sons where you still respect them and they're adults, but you need to like boost their ego a lot. And she was like, they make their living off of doing well and like achieving. So this is just the way that you need to kind of like treat them and act with them is that tell them they're doing a good job and see how you can help them do a better job. Um, so that's like where I first kind of started. And I stayed with field marketing for two more companies just because I, I loved being aligned to sales a lot. And yeah, I kind of learned that like, I don't always have to boost their ego. It's more of a partnership and we don't need to act like that in every single company I've been at. So yeah, I moved into more of like the startup kind of sales motion and there, I think it's a lot more collaborative and I've developed a closer relationship where sales, where we're actually like helping each other back and forth, not actually like me just telling them they're doing a good job and seeing how I can help them, but more like, how can we help each other? Brittany, I do have a question for you. You went to school for finance, kind of like happened into this field marketing role. You were working very closely with sales teams initially. So you sort of got a lens into both fields, career paths. Did you ever consider jumping over to sales or another way to ask that question is what led you to say, you know what, marketing is my path. I'm just like kind of curious how you made that call. And that's a really good question. I would say I get a little bit too emotionally attached to like what I'm doing. So I wouldn't be good at sales, honestly, because I, if someone tells me no, or if someone is rude to me, I like take it very personally and I, I won't sleep the next night. So I actually did think about that then because I was like, hey, these salespeople that I'm working with are making way more money than I am. And I am very like money motivated. So several times I was like, I should just make the jump to sales so that I control the amount of money that I'm making. But then, yeah, I see how some salespeople are treated by their prospects. And I'm like, no, I can't do that. I can't be turned down that many times in one day. Brittany, I'm the same way. Ben's asked before, like, oh, have you ever thought about sales? And I was like, no, I know I couldn't do it. <laughs> I don't have the heart for it. Well, I'd love to hear Ben or Brittany, you know, as we talk about difference between sales and marketing personality, why is it, I think sales often seems marketing as a little less maybe directly tied to revenue or as we've talked about, maybe just kind of there to help support, maybe act as the mom they didn't know they needed. Why do we think that is? Why is there that perception that marketing isn't as directly tied to dollars? One main thing is that they are not talking to each other. In field marketing, obviously, I was talking to sales pretty much every week, mostly the sales leadership, but also just having one-on-ones with sales reps quite often. And now I've been on the demand gen and product marketing side of things. And I see the other side where if you're not a field marketer, sometimes by default, you're just like focused on moving the needle and going with your, rolling with your campaigns and tracking those campaigns. But some marketers and not all a lot do talk to sales, but they're not talking to sales because they don't want to bother them. They know they're on customer calls. Like we just, we, we think like they don't have time for us. They don't want to interact with us. We're here to support them. We don't really need to talk to them. So I think sales in that regard is not seeing marketing as like that they care about what sales is doing and the revenue that they're impacting. They just think like they're just there to do creative stuff and send emails because they're not talking to each other and not understanding each other's initiatives and goals. Another thing that I've seen sometimes and not all the times is that some marketers don't even know what the revenue target for sales is. 
and they don't know how they're impacting that on a day-to-day basis or how their campaigns are impacting that. They're more focused on like, what are the MQLs we're bringing in? What's the ROI on our campaigns? But not like, okay, is sales actually hitting their target? And have I talked to them recently about how I can help them to hit their target quicker or more efficiently? So yeah, those are two things that kind of, I think why a salesperson might not see a marketer as revenue driven, but and I'm really curious to hear what you think because I've always wondered why sales doesn't think that. Yeah. So I think my answers that I jotted down for this question are related a lot, Brittany, to what you just discussed, which is there's a lack of communication. And so naturally, if there's a lack of communication, there's probably a lack of empathy. There's a lack of understanding. So before I joined Nevada, I was sort of one of those IC sales reps that was somewhat in the dark when it came to what was going on with marketing in that relationship. And so I'm going to speak to like, I would say the stereotypical way that sales teams feel about marketing, just prefacing all of this with Natalie, obviously I don't feel this way anymore. So something to call out here is sales is extremely reliant on marketing in a way that marketing isn't reliant on sales when it comes to compensation, whether it is job security or whether your comp is literally tied to your performance, which is typically the case for sales reps. Most of the time, it's a inbound outbound split when you think about getting to the quota or the number that you need to get to. So the outbound split, I get it. That's food I need to go kill on my own. I understand. The inbound split is so reliant on that marketer. So if I'm an AE, times are tough. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about getting the quota, all of these different things. And I'm barely getting any leads from my marketing team. I'm naturally just going to point my finger at marketing and be like, what the hell are they doing? Like they're worried about like this website relaunch or this partnership over here. Like why can't they actually worry about getting me really high quality leads so that I can get to my number? I I would say that's number one. And on the flip side, the way we think about it is marketing doesn't seem, at least in my opinion, to be like super reliant on sales. As long as you are all hitting like your MQL number, there's probably a little bit of less of like, a, well, I need sales to close all this. Otherwise, I'm in trouble. There's probably a little bit of that, but it's heavily weighted on the other way where it's, you know, if marketing isn't doing a good job and getting me a bunch of leads, it's going to impact my bottom line, how much money I make or even my job security as a sales rep. Yeah, I would add on to that then. Like sometimes, I mean, I I totally agree with what you're saying, but that two-way communication too of like sales telling marketing, you know, what are the good MQLs and leads coming from? And like, what are you doing to help us that's actually working? Because that's something, a gap I often find with sales is that, you know, like we'll do all these events, we'll do all these ads, we'll fix the landing pages, we'll set up nomadic product demos, like we'll do all of these things. And I often have to like constantly ask like, what's bringing you the best leads? What's moving the needle for you? And I think that's like a gap that sales doesn't provide both ways because you guys want the leads, you want the good leads, but the communication doesn't always happen of telling us like what are actually the good leads coming from and what's helping you the most. Ben, I'd be curious your side of this, but when you talked about, you know, before maybe you didn't really understand what's marketing doing. One thing that when I first joined, I wanted to be really intentional about was saying to you, hey, I I need your feedback. Like, I need you to let me know what leads are working and not working. And I want you to let me know, like, I'm not going to be offended. You know, if we don't like these leads or if they're smaller or if they're not closing, I'm not going to be offended, but I need to know before, you know, I don't want to hear it in the distance from some of the sales reps, like, oh, what is marketing doing? All these leads suck. And I hope that early on, was an indicator of, okay, marketing does care. And also this is an open space that we can communicate like that. It's not going to be an attack if I don't like some of the leads. Yeah, I completely agree. And flipping the, the coin on what I just said around what my initial thoughts were on marketing before I joined Nevada to what they are now. Like Natalie, you really helped me open my eyes to what marketers do and the importance of it. And I think this speaks to like all the salespeople out there listening to this. 
you're viewing your marketing team through the wrong lens. You are looking at them as a demand and lead generation machine exclusively. But guess what? That is not exclusively what they do. There's so much more shit going on that they're working on all these different initiatives that have tons of ripple effects that I'm sorry, are like bigger than just your small pipeline, like brand building, partnership building, podcasts, events, webinars. It isn't just a marketer's job to wake up in the morning, pour themselves a cup of coffee and be like, how many leads can I get Ben today? That's a big part of their job. But I think that's the only avenue in which sales teams look at their marketers. So because of that, they're very, very, very judgy thinking that I didn't get enough leads this week. Brittany's doing a bad job. It's like, no, that's not true. Brittany was building our brand. She's building up dark social on LinkedIn, which is going to bring you higher quality leads in two weeks. Like a bunch of these different things that sales reps don't see. The only tangible things that sales reps typically see are like cool new website, cool inbound leads. But there's so much more going on. And that's why I think sales reps judge marketers incorrectly and unfairly. Brittany, when doing research for this podcast, you know, doing your little intro, I was impressed by how many different areas you touch, like product marketing, demand, field, all this. How do you balance doing those activities? Ben's mentioned that maybe sales doesn't know about or doesn't see, but makes long-term impact with also showing your direct impact to sales. Yeah, that's a good question. And I have been in like very many different roles. I would say that I haven't been in all of them at the same time, but my most recent role at Localize was kind of a mix of everything. How I balance um, doing the brand building and then also having that impact on sales. I would say that when I'm looking at brand building, so we have at Localize a separate team that's actually focused on brand building. So I'm not directly head of that or impacting it on a day-to-day basis. But what I try to do is look at our brand and look at where we're lacking and where can we be that's attached to the revenue goals that I'm trying to be that will actually impact that revenue. So If it's me even building our brand with my LinkedIn page, like, do I have the following that will actually impact that? Like, so localization managers are one of our top target ICPs. So if I'm posting on LinkedIn, do localization managers actually even follow me on LinkedIn? Like, or is this a waste of my time to actually be posting here about our brand and building that brand on that channel? And then with events and things like this. So we do some in-person events, not many, but that's kind of like the field marketing side of things where we need our brand out there because for example, like in the US, our company is not that well known. So a big focus of ours is to try and get our brand out there in the US. But if I'm going to these events, is that actually going to bring revenue? Is that going to make me hit my goals and our sales goals in the US? Or is it more of just like a brand building where our name's out there, but it's actually not going to impact anything? So I think, you know, looking at these brand opportunities and then thinking through like what has the past shown us about these brand opportunities and will this actually bring a revenue number or is it just a nice to have? I love the concept of like, is this where my ICP is and is this will drive results? I think a lot of people are like, oh, I need to be posting on LinkedIn and making my own personal brand and boosting the brand of the company. But if those people aren't following you, you're kind of just talking at air, I guess. So I think that's a really helpful framework for us to be like, okay, is this directly going to be in contact with potential buyers? And I don't think we think about that enough. And then also we talk about ICP all the time in this podcast, but make sure that sales and marketing are aligned on who those best fit buyers are. That's, I think, often another problem is marketing has their idea of who's a good fit and sales does. So then when the lead gets to sales, they just disqualify it. And marketing spent all this time getting this lead. Totally. Yep. Yeah, I think that's something we first identified in the beginning here at Localize is we have a lot of different ICPs and all of us had a different idea of like who was the best one. So we really had to align on, you know, 
and even who's the decision maker. It's not even who's the ICP, but where should we be where the decision makers actually are, where we can kind of like influence this a little bit quicker than just talking to somebody that, you know, might think that localization is something they want to do, but it's actually, they're not the decision maker on, on whether or not it's going to happen. And Brittany, with that decision, I would love to drill in there because I feel like I've defended marketers a lot on this podcast so far. This is one thing where I will put my foot on the ground a little bit with sales reps and sales teams is I do think when it comes to nailing your ICP and identifying exactly who that should be, your frontline sellers know that better than marketers do. And I'm curious, like when you make, were making that decision and the team was making that decision, how was that decision made? Who, who did you chat with? How much did sales have an influence in that decision around, okay, this is localized as ICP, or maybe there's a few, obviously, but curious what went into like making that final decision. Uh, yeah, no, I completely agree with you on this one. Uh, that sales definitely knows, and the, how we picked that was one: listening to go on calls um, and seeing on those gong calls who were the people that sales was were talking to the most, and then who was that final person that they talked to when the deal actually converted into a close one deal. So there could have been an initial conversation with somebody that we could see in Salesforce and the account history that that conversation first started with, or the first initial lead that we got them. But then if we go into Gong and find out who was the last decision maker in the call history, it's someone totally different. So that was one step we took. Another was just interviewing sales and saying, like, who are you talking to the most? We gave them a list of, you know, five different people that we thought our ICP was. And again and again, we just heard the exact same person, which was not who we initially thought that it would be or hypothesized that it would be. And then another way is just looking at your product, right? Like we use Amplitude and we can go in and see who are the users within our product and just segmenting by when people log into our, our product, they can say like, what is their role type in their company? And just looking at that Amplitude data to see who are our most common users and what are their role types in the company. Because I would say for our product specifically, there's, there's someone who strategizes on localizing, there's someone who actually implements localization, and then there's someone that manages it. So there's three different role types, but it, so that's why it takes a lot of investigation to figure out, okay, who should we actually be targeting with the marketing to like get them to buy our products? Because there's these three different roles within the process that it's going to be hard to reach all three of them at the same time. <laughs> I think that's such a good point. I've heard so many companies talk about and debate, you know, who is their ICP, but it's it's so important to really nail down not just who's the end user, who that might be, who you might be seeing the most, might be the most vocal, but are they the actual buyer and figuring that out? So we talked a little high level as far as, you know, strategies to help be more revenue driven, making sure you're talking to sales, making sure you have the same ICP. Bernie would love and go into a really tactical strategy because Again, one thing that we were super impressed by was when Localize is evaluating new campaigns, new software like Nevatic, you had a very um, disciplined approach to making sure there was ROI. So I'd love to hear the localized way of making sure new initiatives are going to be revenue driven. Yeah, yeah. So first off for this one, I want to say that it really depends on the campaign that you're running. Like I said, I've been in field marketing, product marketing, demand gen. And for all of those, like the campaigns that you're running are very different. But when we're like specifically talking about tooling. So at the time when I was looking at Nevatic, we had just hired a new VP of marketing and I was reporting to him at the time. And when you come into a new company, I think it's like very strict on, you know, I'm not going to be the VP that comes in and just allows people to just spend an astronomical amount of money. He also has the mindset and still does to this day that tools aren't the answer to our problems, which I totally agree. Like we're not going to fix all of our massive problems within marketing by just buying a new tool which he was really trying to avoid. So 
Uh, we created a very, like you said, stringent process on onboarding a new tool. And with that, Ben was super helpful because I needed to have solid proof that this would actually bring us opportunities and close one revenue. What I had to end up asking Ben for was like a pretty extensive proof of concept until I was able to show that we would pay for the cost of Nevadic with the amount of opportunities that it was bringing in. So like very tangible way that we did this and it's super easy. I think anyone can do it. First off, don't be afraid to ask questions um, and ask the vendors that are selling you their tools. Like, can I have a proof of concept? Most of the time, the vendors will give it to you. I know that we'll give it to it localized if you need to prove it, the value. Um, and I've worked with other vendors that will do this as well. And you guys were great about doing this because you then you knew how much I wanted to get Nevada. And I think you saw the value in what you guys did. So you knew it would work probably. You're probably laughing in the background like, uh, yeah, obviously this is going to work. So yeah, we just asked for, I think it was like two months um, POC. And basically we looked at what's the percentage of MQLs that we bring in that convert into customers? And then what's the average ARR of those customers that we're bringing in um, across the board? So then how many MQLs would Nevada need to give us in order to pay for itself? So basically our BP wanted to show that we would completely pay for the cost of the Nevada tool for one year with the amount of customers that it would bring us. So yeah, we were able to, I'm touting you guys, but like we were able to do that in two months. I proved the value and the amount of MQLs we brought in in two months time for an entire year. Yeah, I think just knowing what exactly what the person in leadership that either you report to or is going to be the ultimate decision maker is looking for. So I knew that he wanted basically to have our like to prove out the ROI on everything that we were doing. And that comes with events too. If we wanted to ever do like a conference or a virtual event, and it was going to cost some kind of money. He wanted to see proof from previous events that this already paid for itself. Or like, who are the accounts that are going to be there? Who are the accounts that we are targeting? What are the goals? Always know what you're trying to achieve, I would say. And then always know how you think this campaign or tool is going to help you achieve that. Always being able to prove how you're going to measure that success. I think those are the three probably most important things that you can do when planning a campaign or purchasing a new tool, whatever it is that you're trying to do within marketing. And Brittany, question on that, tying it back to like the sales and marketing relationship. When you were rolling out Nevada initially for that test period, or when you are looking to deploy another tool or you're running an event or a campaign, are you making your sales team aware of that? Are you saying like, hey team, I'm throwing a product or on our website for the next two months. Like, here's the link to it if you want to try it yourself. Like, let me know if any customers reference it on calls. Like how much are you exposing that to your sales team? We kind of did a test group of our sales reps that we let know about it. So I didn't let everyone know about it in the beginning first because salespeople get excited about, I think sometimes if it's the right tool, they get excited about a tool. They want to start using it. Everyone wants to begin using it. And I was a little bit hesitant to tell everyone about this when I was knew we were just doing a POC for three months. And what if it didn't work? And I told them all about this. And then they're like, what, what happened to the nevatic thing? Like, I was really liking that. So yeah, I, I always with these like tests and experiments bring on like one or two sales reps to be a part of our experimentation group. And it also, it's helpful if you do that, because then later on, when you've actually onboarding the tool, they're going to be the promoters of this tool for you or campaign, whatever you're doing. So yeah, I brought on, I think actually at the time it was only one AE that I was working pretty closely with at the time and told him about the new tool and gave him the link to add it to his email signature. And I think that was really all he did. And then I actually got tons of feedback from him. He wasn't even using it 
really anywhere other than his email signature, but he had three customers that got on a call with him and were like, oh yeah, I saw this and that's how I found your product is that I was on your webpage and I saw your product demo and that's the reason I booked a demo. Even having those like three little like quotes from his customers where I could just get a snippet of Gong or an email that he had sent me saying like, this actually is working. That was even able to give me proof to our VP to say, hey, look, even sales is really liking this. So I think like if you can get that sales buy-in, sometimes it's even better than showing like numbers proof. If you can just say, hey, someone in sales is saying this is actually working from them, leadership will be like, all right, do it. Because I mean, that's going to work. We need revenue. <laughs> I say that all the time on this podcast. Ben's probably sick of hearing me say this, but I always say if you have an initiative where sales can say like, these are some of my favorite leads or they converted higher or faster. Like, I think I get a lot of questions, whether it's interactive demos, whether it's public facing pricing, whether it's, I don't know, using B2B creators, like all these new ideas we have as marketers. I feel like we will show third party reports and we give our reasoning for why it would work. But that's sort of why we invented this podcast to say, hey, if you can get aligned with sales and if you can get them bought into some of these things, work with them, it's just going to make getting these things greenlighted by leadership so much faster and easier because you have a champion who also by trade is good at selling and probably better than you at convincing people to do stuff. So that's awesome to hear that you had some of those internal champions when going through looking at Nevadic. This might be a little bit out of order, but earlier in the podcast, we, we talked a little bit about what are some of the stereotypes around why sales teams can be frustrated with marketers. I didn't get a chance to ask you all the opposite of that, which maybe a little bit of it was just uncovered, but like is there any tension ever like stereotypes of the way marketers think of sales teams or sales reps? Is it because typically we have a lot of influence because we are directly tied to revenue and that frustrates you or I would love to hear your side of it. I would say it's not that like, it's totally not the influence that you guys have over revenue because I think that you most of the time understand it a bit more just because you're tied into it every single day. You know, like we're having to be most often the creative side of things and using that side of our brain than thinking about revenue 24 seven. Like I look at revenue every day, but it's not the focus of my entire life and day to day activities. For me, like my main point of contention is normally that like the listening and paying attention to what we're doing. So I feel like I'm having to be a broken record 24 seven all the time. Most recently, we just actually did a conference in Sweden and we had a group of like seven of us going and this is just a small thing, but like I sent the itinerary, I sent where we're staying, what hotel we're staying in, all of these things, like five times I communicated on calls, emails, Slack, and we get to Sweden and my AE, the only AE coming, goes to a totally different hotel, like 10 minutes away. And he's like, hey, they don't have my check-in information, what's happening why, why am I not on the list to stay in this hotel? And I'm like, I'm in the lobby. You're not here. Like, where are you? And he's like, oh, I'm at this one hotel. I'm like, that's not, I don't even know why you're at that hotel or not sitting there. Yeah. So just like things like that, where I'm like, I feel like I'm having to repeat myself, but I have to remind myself, you guys are on calls with prospects and customers and everything all day long. You're very busy and you have a lot on your plate. Like I will completely give you that. But yeah, I would just say like that need to repeat myself 24 seven is my one thing that drives me crazy. <laughs> I think your analogy earlier of teenagers and obviously I don't think of anyone here at Nevadic sales, but that experience of like, sometimes when you communicate, it feels like it has to be very intentional and positive reinforcing in a few different ways. I think sometimes marketers feel like sales get a little bit of special treatment and it's not like, Oh, I'll create this deck or I'll create this asset and they'll use it. They're like, no, you have to now present it in a way that sales will use it and make sure it's getting traction. And 
do all these extra steps. And like Brittany said, when it comes down to it, if you really dive in, it's understandable. You have a million more calls than we do. You're chasing prospects, thinking about this, this, and this. You don't always have the time to step back and find this deck buried somewhere in this organized folder. But I think that's it. Like marketing just constantly feels like you guys get a little bit of special treatment. I think inherently, and Natalie, this is true in our relationship as well. Like you are way more data driven. You are way, attention to detail is way better and way higher than mine. So I think in a lot of ways, we help each other a lot. At least you help me a ton. If there's a report that I'm like, I don't know how to make this report. I don't know where it lives. And I slack Natalie. Like now it's like, yeah, I've had this report for two years. Here it is. Like little things like that. So that is to say, whether you're an AE, an IC, or a head of sales, like you are inherently probably wired a little bit differently, which is why sales gets you stoked and, and, and your marketers are, are wired a little differently as well. But the areas of weakness you both have are the strengths of the others. And so I lean on Natalie for the attention to detail that I always miss, for that report that I don't know how to create, for this and that. So I don't know what I do for you, Natalie, but uh, you, you certainly help me out a lot. Can I tell the Excel story from last week? Oh, Lord. Last week, Ben and I were having our catch up and he's like, hey, me and the sales team, we want to hit this number by end of year. Yeah, so I, I told the team I'd make a calculator to figure out what number we need to hit. So I've been watching Excel videos all morning over my cup of coffee. I was like, Ben, you know that, you know, quarterly forecast report I do, I, I could really easily just turn that into a, a yearly report. He's like, oh, yeah, let's do that. Um, I did do it yesterday, Ben. Don't know if you saw that in our one-on-one -on -one doc. It is done. But I was just, I was giggling a little bit because I was thinking, why didn't you just thing to ask versus teaching yourself Excel, but I give it to you. I think that's the drive of salespeople, or I don't know if it's like the confidence that sometimes marketers don't have. Then you could always now ask ChatGPT to create that uh, report for you. <laughs> There's another thing I didn't know that I just learned. This is good. Now, Brittany, I'm going to start pinging you when I, when I don't know how to do something or need some help on something. <laughs> um, I was curious, tying it back to being a revenue-driven marketer, you know, Brittany, we're going on a little bit, maybe making fun a little bit too much of sales and paying attention and all that. But I do think it is really important to package up things in a way that they'll be quick to understand and has impact for them. I think a fault of marketers is we often report on things like, look at how many MQLs we brought in and how many LinkedIn impressions sales like, cool, what does that mean? What are some best ways you've found to, to really show sales you are revenue driven, report back to them and make it stick? Yeah, um, I think it's, you know, knowing what's top of mind for them at all times. So, and also your timing, right? Like we need to know if it's end of quarter, you know, what are they going to be excited about at end of quarter? If it's the beginning of the quarter, what can we do and show them to like get them hyped up about the beginning of this quarter and what we're doing to help them like coming up? Proving what we're doing. I don't know if it's really like proving the revenue that we're bringing in because sales isn't really in my experience, interested, unless it's sales leadership, right? But like the AEs that are on the ground working on their day-to-day -day accounts, they're not really concerned with how much revenue we're bringing them. They're concerned on how are we influencing the accounts that they care about. You know, we recently just started an ABM motion. And uh, with that, it's like, hey, I'm constantly going in because I know the accounts that my AEs care about the most. And I'm going in and looking at like what's happening within those accounts and what information and data can I bring back to them? Because again, it's not about just like getting an ABM tool and having that and thinking that's going to cure all of our problems. It's like being in the weeds with it and knowing what they care about to say like, hey, they're visiting these sites, they're searching these keywords. These are the accounts you need to be focused on right now. And just providing that information to move the needle for them or help them move the needle. And then, you know, doing events and campaigns and things that I know that they like and that they'll get excited about. So more of that relationship building and not just, 
hey, we ran these ads and they actually had a click-through rate that's higher than our last set of ads. Like they don't care. They don't even know really probably what a click-through rate is. And maybe that person ended up on their website, but they want to know like, okay, well, which accounts did that? Was it my contact? Was it somebody else's contact? So I think you really need to know at the end of the day, what are the accounts that they care about and what are the actions that these accounts are taking that they can action on themselves as an AE? So yeah, that's kind of what I would say of like what you need to report back to people. It's not really about your campaign success, but how is it impacting them and yeah, what they're doing for their job. A couple quick tips I have for marketers who are presenting anything to sales teams. A, a few things. Brittany, I love what you said about timing. End of quarter is like a do not touch time for sales teams. Another time that I think marketers probably don't consider is find out when your reps are going to find out what their quota is for next quarter. And I would leave them alone for a few days after that just generally speaking. The other thing is probably exemplified by the Excel spreadsheet story. Keep it simple, stupid, nice and simple. When you're presenting things to uh, sales teams, keeping it dead simple. Uh, and then lastly, Natalie, something you said earlier, which was really, really effective at front is anytime marketing was pushing a new initiative, pushing a new idea, a tool, they would find one or two sales reps who would champion it and own it. And rather than the marketer pitching that to the sales team in like an org meeting, They'd have their two sales reps, like one of us, pitching it to the rest of the team. You're like, yo, I worked with the marketing team. This tool is really, really cool. Here's how it helped me win XYZ deal. You all should use this too. That resonates really, really strongly versus like, hey, um, Ben from the marketing team, here to show you a new tool. Like sometimes that can get tuned out a little bit. And I would also add been like, if you do QBRs at your company to ask the sales reps that you've been working with to include that in part of their QBR decks that they're presenting back to sales leadership. To say like, hey, remember when we did this with XYZ account, can you include that in your QBR to show how you had success with this one account and closing that deal? So not even asking like to bring up back about tools, but making sure that it's a part of like how they actually won over accounts or won a deal. Brittany, I really loved your point before about saying specific companies, because this is something I didn't learn until then we were working together and you can't remember it was on a podcast, just in a one-on-one, emphasize how important it is for sales reps to get jazzed about like certain logos or Big, big accounts are working. Like I, I always assumed the end goal was just your quota and you got so okay, but hitting your quota or not, and obviously that's important, but never knew how much like getting that cool logo of that company you love meant or getting that, you know, huge account. So I think as marketers, I've tried to retrain myself not to speak even in terms of things like revenue and pipeline, but to the specific rep talking to them about their accounts. And you said to get them specifically excited versus just kind of the generic marketing speak. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like a, I mean, it's exciting to me too. Right. And I'm sure to you, Natalie, like if we see that our company has closed like Amazon. It's like, wow, oh my gosh, like we must be, you know, we want to see those logos too as marketers. So I, I think sales and marketing get equally excited about the actual account and like, can we close that compared to just this? Like, I mean, the smaller accounts matter too. Right. But it's, there's just something about the, the logos that everyone knows that gets you excited. So somehow, as always, we've been chatting for a little while. It always flies by. But before we close it out, just would love to hear everyone's final tips, suggestions for how you can be more revenue-driven marketer or maybe better show your revenue side to sales. Yeah. So my top tips would probably be, one, uh, have a relationship with your sales reps. It doesn't matter if you're in product marketing, if you're in demand gen, if you're in paid media, like have at least two to three account reps where you can go and you can speak to them and have a relationship, whether it be monthly, weekly, whatever it is that you need, but where you're getting feedback 
back and forth between yourself and that sales rep. I think that's first and foremost, the most important thing that you can do. Two is paying attention and listening to the accounts that they're speaking with, that they care about going into Gong and like listening to these calls that they're having with their customers and their prospects, because that's going to teach you the most about marketing. Kind of what we already talked about, that'll even help you determine who's the ICP that you should be going after. Know the metrics that leadership and your sales teams care about and make sure that whenever that you're launching a campaign or reporting on the success of a campaign, that that's what you're focused on. You're not focused on the kind of like metrics that matter to you or matter to your manager or something like this. You're focused on what's driving revenue and what is sales and what does leadership care about? Because that's what people are going to pay attention to at the end of the day. Yeah. And for me, I feel like I've said this a few times, but it's it's so true is sales reps, go chat with your marketers and ask them what they're up to. Ask them what the initiatives that they're working on. And I think you'll be blown away to learn that it isn't just wake up every single day and try to get you a million leads. There's a ton that they're doing for the business that really does positively impact the customers that you speak with. They are building a brand that your prospects are seeing before they ever chat with you. So uh, give them a chance to learn a little bit more about what they're up to, see if you can help out. And uh, the closer you are to somebody in the marketing team, the more likely they are to ping you on a one-off and say they have a really hot lead. Do you want it? That's a awesome. Nothing else to learn what marketers are doing. You know, go get those best leads. Um, I think for me, the final tip is make sure you're also zooming out in your marketing reporting. We talked about reporting on specific companies or reporting on metrics that sales cares about. But sometimes you don't realize the impact you're making or how much pipeline you brought in or ROI you've seen unless you zoom out on that quarterly basis. I think I know for myself, because, you know, a lot of our metrics are more top of funnel, I report on a weekly basis. But it's not until we do our quarterly meetups as a company that I can zoom out and be like, oh, wow, no, this is actually how much pipeline and revenue I brought to the company. And it makes a lot bigger impact when it's a quarter versus a week. Definitely. Okay, awesome. Well, this was awesome as always. Um, Hopefully we helped everyone get a little better understanding of what that elusive revenue-driven marketer means. And thanks so much for joining us, Brittany. Yeah, thanks. This is a lot of fun, guys. Thanks for inviting me. And cheers. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers.